In what ways has God called you to something tremendous, but you've let someone's opinion stop you from going? Take that armor off. Take that false ideal off of your soul. Let God redefine you. Whose armor are you wearing? And I'm not asking this as like a rhetorical question. I actually want you to think about this. How many of us in here struggle with insecurities because of something someone said? Something someone told us about how we weren't this enough or that enough. How many of us here are broken because the words or actions of someone lingers on our soul? Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Ezrika. I'm sure you've probably seen me running around. I'm quite a busybody. Um, but tonight, I will be bringing the message to you guys. But before we start, I would like to offer a word of prayer. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Please be with us as we just explore your word and as we are able to consider ways that you are with us on the journey, the times it feels lonely, the times it feels difficult, the times we cry in silent, the times we gain the victory, God, you are there through it all. I don't know what brought everyone here tonight, but I do know that you know them so intimately, so perfectly. And I pray that I will just be a mouthpiece, that it will not be me speaking, but instead it will be you. Thank you for being here with us, and thank you for your love. I pray in your name, amen. Okay, so to start off, I actually want you guys to close your eyes. Can you close your eyes with me? We're going to do an activity, and this requires your imagination. Okay, so close your eyes and go with me to a forest. This forest is beautiful. Redwoods, giant trees, green everywhere you turn. The ferns, they are scattered in grand arrays. The birds, they are singing a beautiful song and you're with people you love. You walk you sing BTS, you laugh, you twirl around. It's just a beautiful moment. The sun is shining. The temperature is perfect. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Redwoods, but it's the silence in there. It feels like you've gone to another world. It's so peaceful. It's so perfect that you decide you want to sit and take it all in. You want to feel the sun rays on your skin. You want to touch the cool water with your hands. You close your eyes and you are in the moment. You actually don't realize how long 
or how much time passes because when you open your eyes, the friends that journeyed with you are gone. All of a sudden, this forest that once seemed like such a safe and beautiful space, you realize just how big it is. You wonder what animals are around. Will I encounter a mountain lion? Can I throw these hands? Can I beat this lion if necessary? You continue walking because you imagine that you are taking the path your friends are taking, but you don't find them. Suddenly, anxiety starts to rise up in your heart. You look at your phone, but you have absolutely no service. You are alone and you are lost. I want you to feel the feelings of being lost in an unknown place. I want you to imagine what it would be like when the world around you, something that seemed so beautiful is now so daunting. And I want you to consider how quickly a journey can go from beautiful to a broken season. How quickly you can go from feeling like you are with friends to realizing you are just alone. Open your eyes. This is what David went through. Tonight we're talking about I feel like a wanderer. And what I will be doing is going through specific encounters or specific parts of David's life and exploring some of the topics or some of the lessons that we can learn from them. So journey with me today as we explore David, the wanderer. David's story starts because, because Saul's story, it ended. Saul, who was initially anointed to be king, decided to do his own thing. And as a result, God took his presence and his anointing away from him. Samuel the prophet went to David's home per the request of God, and uh, Jesse, David's father, had all of his sons, minus David, line up. I imagine, because they describe David in the Bible, like, I imagine David was actually pretty fine. Like, I think he was really good looking. So I imagine his brothers were too, like, just like, they were fly. So Saul, his natural inclination is to look at the outward, but God is like, no, no, no. Look at the heart, because you know who else was actually genuinely fine? He was tall and fine, Saul. Saul was like, he was a head, like a shoulder above everyone else. Saul looked kingly, but his looks did exactly nothing for him. So Jesse lined up all of his sons. <laughs> Jesse lined up all of his sons, and as Samuel is going down, God is like, no, not him, no, not him, no, not him. And eventually, David gets called from tending to the sheep and he gets anointed as king. The first thing I think about is like, wh why, did, why did David get overlooked? Like why when Samuel came, Jesse was like, I'm going to give you all of my sons. This is all that I have. I don't know if in your life you feel like you've ever been like overlooked or undermined. If it feels like you've been completely discredited from the beginning. David was the youngest, so I guess in a sense, maybe his father was like, he's too young to do something great. What ends up happening, <laughs> what ends up happening is after David is anointed, David actually, he doesn't like go right into being a king. A few years elapsed and there is this giant named Goliath, right? Goliath, 
I, I tried to look up his dimensions. Some said that he was six foot nine, which doesn't make sense to me because I actually have a friend that that's tall and that doesn't seem that big. Others say that he was entirely like bigger. So I'm going with the other one. I'm going to say he was 16 feet tall just for all intents and purposes. I'm making it up. Goliath was a, tr uh, he was absolutely a troll. Like he knew that he was big and he knew that he could torment the children of Israel and he very much did. One day, Jesse, David's father, sends him to go bring food to his elder brothers. If you think about it, again, David was technically anointed king, and his father has him doing DoorDash. Like, he's bringing his brothers food. It really just lends to the concept of, like, why was David so overlooked? Why was David so overlooked? I want us to go in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to look at verse 28. There will be a lot of scripture verses tonight, so keep your phones out. Why was David consistently overlooked? 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to look at verse 28. And here, after David brings the food to his uh, brothers, it says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking, and what happened is David came and he realized that all the children of Israel were so, like, afraid of this guy. And David is like, what is going on? Why are you guys letting this guy punk you? So his older brother hears him and he says, when he heard him speaking to the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are. I know how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. So David's older brother is now literally trashing him, accusing him of ill intentions. David seems to be a little sassy. He's like, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? And David ends up telling Saul um, and he had a relationship with Saul because he was, he played like the harp for Saul when Saul was having his little moments. David ends up telling Saul, like, I want to go. Don't worry, everyone. I want to go. And Saul is like, no, you're too young. You're not prepared. And I imagine David flexing on Saul, like, actually, I didn't mean to bring this up, but I've killed lions and bears with my whole hands. Like, I've done that. And so what David does is says that I am actually equipped, but it's not really me. It's God. And who knows what happens next when David goes to Saul and says, I want to fight this Philistine. Saul's next reaction is what? To put on his armor. I think it comes from a place of like care and concern, but Saul tries to put David in his armor and David tries it on. Like he's trying to wear it only to realize that I can't do this. This doesn't fit me. So he takes it off, picks up his staff and, and, and goes and gets a couple of stones, and he kills Goliath. The first question I ask you tonight is whose armor are you wearing? Like you've been called, you've been chosen. The people around David were entirely afraid. They were not going to do anything about anything. David comes and he feels the presence of God and Saul's reaction is to cover him with his own idea to cover him with his armor. This is what I mean by whose armor are you wearing? Whose ideals are you living your life? Like who, the lens, who gets to dictate your life? Who's told you that you weren't enough? 
Who told you that you weren't smart enough or brave enough? Who, whose armor are you wearing? Was it the church? Is it the church that scarred you? They told us ideals about our purity or our worth. They told us that we needed to be virtuous. We needed to be ready. They told us what it meant to be a man. What is it? Because it's not, it's very often not God's words about us. Whose armor are you wearing? Whose ideals have you taken on so strongly that you no longer see who you are in Christ? That you no longer see that you are worthy that you are enough, that you are chosen. Furthermore, there will be times in our lives when God has called us to do something spectacular and the people around us, they didn't even, they couldn't even imagine doing it, but somehow they know how to tell you how to do it. All of a sudden they have all this wisdom. Whose armor are you wearing? Because as long as you take on the armor like David did for a moment, took on Saul's armor, you will never be able to conquer the battle you were designed to conquer. It was literally David who felt the presence of the Lord, who took a leap of faith and said, I can defeat this guy. I don't care how big he is. My God is bigger. In what ways has God called you to something tremendous, but you've let someone's opinion stop you from going? Take that armor off. Take that false ideal off of your soul. Let God redefine you. Whose armor are you wearing? And I'm not asking this as like a rhetorical question. I actually want you to think about this. How many of us in here struggle with insecurities because of something someone said? Something someone told us about how we weren't this enough or that enough. How many of us here are broken because the words or actions of someone lingers on our soul? God has called us to too much for us to be anchoring ourselves with the ideals and ideas of others. So this is the first lesson we can learn from the wanderer, David. He knew very quickly like if, that if he were to do what God designed him to do, he would have to take up what it is God gave him, his natural resources. Like David took up his staff because he was a shepherd, and he took stones from the river. You have everything you need in Christ to do everything you are called to do. So take off that armor. You will not get far if you keep that armor on. That's the first lesson that we can learn from David as a wanderer. The story continues to get tricky, right? Because Saul actually really loved David to begin with. Again, like I mentioned, David, when Saul was like anxious or like the, an evil spirit came upon him, David would play his little harp and he would soothe Saul. What ended up happening is after David killed Goliath, uh, all of the like ladies started singing this song. I don't know if you guys know hip hop culture. I don't know if you know diss tracks, like where one artist like makes a song to diss another artist. Yeah, David, like that was the first diss track because all of the people started singing like Saul killed 1,000, David 10,000. Like, dang, no one asked you for that. And Saul, he was very not happy with that because he already knew actually that the kingdom was no longer gonna be his. Like he already knew that the presence of God had departed from him. So from that moment that David killed Goliath, Saul's anger burned towards him. And he spent his like the rest of his life trying to kill David. He even like he goes about uh, 
trying to like give David a woman to like marry one of his daughters. And David's like, oh my gosh, I can't be like the son-in-law to the king. Then he gives that girl away to someone else. Uh, Saul's um, daughter, Michael, Michael ended up like loving him. He got married, all of these things, but still Saul hated David. And his main purpose in life at this point was to destroy him. David was anointed, they say, scholars, like in, in research, I found that David, uh, he was anointed at like a, between 10 and 15. So he was still actually really young. And when Goliath happened, he was under 20 because in biblical times, 20 was the age that you would go into the army. So this is a young man that a full-blown adult is jealous of that he's trying to destroy. But I think it's it, like it serves or it stands to reason that there are times when you walk in the fullness of your calling, when you walk in the fullness of your purpose, it really will ruffle some feathers. But something that we can learn from David as he wandered, as he journeyed from the point of being anointed to the point of being king is David maintained his dignity. I want you guys to turn with me. Two, First Samuel chapter 24, verses 8 through 20. So David had been running for his like actual life. This wasn't like a cute rivalry. It wasn't like I'm going to like uh, shade you on Instagram. You know, this, this was actually David running for his life. And there were several times that like Saul almost caught up to him. Like at some point they're on a mountain and David is like on one side and Saul is on the other side. There's some point in the story where David is so hungry that he goes to the temple and a priest feeds him. Saul comes and kills all of them. Because he's like, how dare you? There's at some point David's son, Jonathan, loves Saul, loves um. Saul's son, Jonathan, loves David so much. They're like soulmates. They are bros. And Jonathan is out here trying to save David's life. Everyone understands that Saul is out of pocket. Everyone knows that Saul is straight up tripping. This guy has lost it. And everyone, whether they say it overtly or not, they understand that David is in the right. So we come in this chapter, and actually this is probably one of my favorite parts of this story, is David is in a cave, right? What happens is after running, for so long, David comes to a cave. He actually comes to a cave twice in the story. The first time, like, his family comes and surrounds him. Like, he meets people there. But in this particular cave, what happens is this. And we'll just read the scripture. Then David went out of the cave. Oh, no, we won't read the scripture. I'll tell you, and then we'll get to it. What happens is Saul comes to the cave, right? Saul is in the cave, and he's, like, legit using the bathroom. David and his boys are like, his men are back there and they're like, yo, dude, this is your opportunity. Kill him. Just go stab him. And David is like, bet. So what he does is he goes and like cuts off part of Saul's robe. And then he's like, oh my gosh, my heart. I feel so bad. I shouldn't have done that. So David had the opportunity to kill Saul because Saul and him happened to be in the same cave. David cuts off a piece of his robe and then we'll pick up here. Then David went out of the cave and called to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? 
This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord, how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers comes evil deeds, so my hands will not touch you. Against whom the king has against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is this your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the, the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. And David, uh, Saul proceeds to be like, I know now that you are truly going to the, be the king. Will you promise to like take care of my children? The lesson we can learn from David in this cave, cave. to be honest, like when I read this, you, okay, Actually, I'll tell you a little something about myself. I, uh, I Google the endings to most movies. Like, truly I do. I cannot, uh, because like if I love like a character, I need to know if they die. I need to brace myself. I need to know if they die. Like I cannot handle the pressure. So like, <laughs> it's a thing for me. I won't like, you know, if I'm watching with other people, I won't tell them, but like I for sure will know who lives and who dies. Um, it's so hard when you don't know how the story ends to live right in the moment. Like David didn't fully know how this was panning out, but he still decided to uphold God. David had every opportunity, and honestly, who would fault David for stabbing Saul? I would not. He'd be like, you go, boy. Do your thing. David had every right because Saul was completely out after him. If there is something we can learn from David in this cave, it is do not get blood on your hands. You see, for me, if I were David, I would ask for every day I had to be on the run, for every time I had to hide in the cave and live like really, like David, he wasn't living the life of a king. He was living the life of like he, he, a refugee. He was on the run for like 10 years. I would wake up every morning and ask God, why is Saul still king? Like, how come he gets to do this to me and he's still in the, like, the leadership? He's still prospering. I'm the one suffering. I'm the one anointed. And he's still prospering. How is that even fair? The second question I would ask every day, like clockwork, is like, I, actually, it's more of a statement. It would be like, I didn't choose this. I didn't ask you to anoint me. You chose me. So why is this so difficult? Why is this so hard? I think in the cave, when David had the opportunity to kill Saul, 
That was for him not only an active, but an act of faith. It takes true trust to not take matters into your own hands, especially when your heart is hurting, especially when you feel like someone has completely like trashed you. Sometimes it, you just want to end people, not like literally because that's wrong. <laughs> Sometimes you want people to know how they've broken your soul. Sometimes you want to do it because clearly God is not about to do it for me. He's being silent. But David in that moment showed he valued his integrity more than the position as king. And I think there are many times in the Bible where God calls people and like chooses them. And it's not until they sacrifice the thing they were called to that they get the thing they were called to. Like, like Abraham, it wasn't until he was willing to sacrifice Isaac that God was like, bet, mm -hmm, I'm going to keep my promise. Good job. But in those times when we take matters into our own hands, like Daniel said in the video, think about Jacob. Jacob was given a promise, right? Jacob was given a promise. And instead of letting God do it, he started being really conniving and manipulative, he ended up stealing the birthright. He ended up stealing the thing that God had intended him, him to have in the per first place. And as a result of that, he suffered. For many years, he suffered. Don't get blood on your hands. If someone has hurt you, if someone has cheated and got the position you wanted, if someone has tarnished your character to make themselves look good, we human beings have this phenomenal tendency to self-destruct. The very reason or the, the thing within them that caused them to act that way towards you will be their undoing. How did Saul die? On his own sword. Why did Saul lose the kingdom? Because of his own, I guess, like lack of trust in God. But the thing is, and for me, like I spent, I've been like working on this sermon or like thinking about this for the last six weeks. I've probably spent the most time on this concept because it really just rings true. The thing is, God needs your hands to be clean. So when he does exactly what he anointed you for, when he brings you to where he promised, your character is still clean. For example, Joseph, like we all know the part in like Joseph's story where he was doing nothing. He was minding his business and this floozy comes up to him. He's like, oh, you're cute. And Joseph's like, nope, can't do it. I will not sin against the Lord. But she keeps on trying. For the longest, that part of the story angered me so much because Joseph got thrown into jail and his character was tarnished because of someone that lied on him. Like that feels like injustice to the 10th power. More recently, though, I've realized that maybe it wasn't a punishment or maybe it wasn't a bad thing. I think, of course, God knew who Joseph was meant to be. Secondly, Joseph is still human, so he's susceptible to failure. If at any point Joseph had succumbed to that temptation and slept with Potiphar's wife, his character would be tarnished. And he really, like when he became second in command, it would not be as effective. So what God did was like, nope. I'm taking you from the situation. I am removing you from the situation. I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to be uncomfortable, but have you ever considered that sometimes the trials we go through is really God's preservation? 
Like Daniel was saying, like, as long as there is pain or as long as there is brokenness, there is no pain-free option. I am learning very slowly, no less. I joke with my friend Hazel that I'm slow on the uptake. Like it takes me a long time to learn lessons, but when I learn them, I learn them. I do. I am learning that there is no way in life to avoid pain. Seems like a simple lesson. But to this point, sometimes I'm like, woe is me, God, why? There is no way to avoid pain on this side of Eden. But sometimes we look at pain and we're like, why are you doing this to me, God? This hurts so much. Have you ever considered it's actually the lesser pain? Have you considered that the thing that hurts you right now is preserving you from something worse? That is the case with Joseph. Yes, he got thrown in the, uh, in the prison. Yes, he was in there for years, but that his character remain impure is the reason he could have been second in command. God is preserving you because he's preparing you for something. He's chosen you. And in the process, in the process, it is so hard to not take things into our hands. Do not get blood on your hands. Let God fight that battle for you. If there's one thing I've learned is I, as Rika Joanna Bennett, I do not have to fight for something that is not mine. I am not fighting for that position. I am not fighting for that guy. I am not fighting for your opinion. Because God has already chosen and called us to something great. I don't have to fight for what's not mine. But here's the more profound thing. I don't have to fight for what is mine. David was anointed. And even in the midst of the cave, David, I think, knew that he was chosen. So he didn't have to kill Saul. Saul was going to destruct himself anyways. And or God was going to take care of it. Don't get blood on your hands. On this journey, keep your hands clean. Maintain your dignity and get your rest because you don't have to fight for this. You don't have to fight for this at all. And you know what eventually happens? David is anointed. Like, or rather, David becomes king. It did take like 10 to, or 15 years. Some, some places say 15 to 22 years. But he, the thing that God called him for is exactly the thing he, that happened in his life. He did not have to really do anything. Was it easy? No, look at Psalms. The Psalms are, it's like a repository of David's pain and emotions, his feelings. He's always crying out to God like, how long will you leave me here? Day and night I weep. My pillows are soaked with my tears. It was not an easy journey, but did he make it? Yes. Listen, I don't know what you're going through, and I don't even know why I'm so like hype right now, but I want you to know that whatever it is God has promised you, you will get there. If you feel like a wanderer, if you feel like you journey in vain, look at the story of David. He did make it. You know, the cool thing with an hourglass, right? It's a matter of perspective. Whether you're losing or gaining depends on where you look right? Like on this side, it seems like you are, well, you're actually gaining. On this side, it seems like you're losing. And I don't know if you've ever had the sense of running out of time. The best way I can describe it is an escape room. Go to an escape room and you will feel that very strong feeling of like, oh my gosh, I don't have time. I need to do this now. <laughs> like this is, this. what's happening while you journey is not that you're running out of time, 
it's not that you're losing, it's that God is adding to your character. You see, I don't think God speaks in the language of time. It's not like because I'm 30, all of a sudden I need to be married, right? The world speaks in the language of time. God speaks in the language of character. Like, but Ezrika, are you ready? Well, obviously not. Um, <laughs> God speaks in the language of character. So the years that he wandered, God was perfecting that which concerned him. And it is because he wandered for those years that he had such a successful reign. To, to some extent, he's still like really messed up with Bathsheba. But like, <laughs> God is still gracious. For you if, you, if you're looking at yourself like, I should be more by now. I should be further by now. Like that is, I feel like the story of my life. I secretly feel like I'm running out of time. I have this, no, I won't tell the joke, okay. <laughs> I, I feel very often, I look around, I'm like, why does everyone else's life make sense except for mine? But God is not looking at time. He's looking at your heart. The thing with the, the difference between David and Saul is Saul was anointed and then he lived for a year and then he became king. David was anointed and then it was like 15 to 22 years and then he became king. God will not give you something that will destroy you. He's not giving you something that will pull you away from him. God will give it to you when you are ready and able to like maintain your relationship with him despite getting the thing you wanted. So are you looking at failure right now? Are you looking like this didn't work out how I planned it? Look at it from a different perspective. God is adding to your character. He's adding to your life because he knows exactly what you are meant to be. He knows exactly how far and high you are supposed to go. And he knows our tendencies. He knows if me being king is going to destroy me like it did Saul, God will, like, he will take 22 years if necessary to perfect my heart. God is not, he's not forsaking you. He's not forgotten you. God is looking at you with full intention like, man, I want you to be everything you dream of. I've put that dream on your heart. Just like I anointed Saul, but here's the thing. More than I want anything for you on earth, I want heaven for you. And I will not give you this thing if it's going to cause you to miss out on that. That's what it feels like to be a wanderer. To wonder like, what is the purpose of all this? Like, or even be like, man, God, I know I'm capable of a lot. I feel like there's more I should or could be doing. Why is this not working out? Well, it's because, it is because there are some things in life that the, like the payment for that is truly time. Like patience is the prerequisite to so many of our desires. I think of, so I, I cook, I, I really enjoy cooking. Uh, my roommate also cooks really well. Now imagine if my roommate Elena was like, hey, Zrika, I wanna make a bomb meal for you. If she says it's gonna be bomb, it truly will be. So she starts preparing it. And I don't know if any of you guys cook or like if you have moms or parents that cook, you, once you cook, you'll realize some of the best food, like it takes time. Like you need to chop it up and marinate it and add your love to it. Imagine if someone like Elena or my dad were cooking me a meal, but because I'm impatient, I'm like, I'm just gonna settle for a snack. Uh, an appetite, like the snack is well packaged, it's cute. Mm. But imagine if a snack tasted like its nutritional value. 
right? Like, I, it is designed to be satiating, really. Like, it's MSG and all, Red 40, Blue Anthem, whatever, like, all these, like, random names. It is designed to be really good to you, but not for you. Imagine that God is preparing a feast for you, and you're out here talking about, I want Doritos. <laughs> Like, that's a bit like, I don't know, counterintuitive, but that's what we do all the time, isn't it? When we take these matters into our own hands, when we don't allow God's time to have its perfect work, he is working on you. Like, I mean, we hear this all the time. Like, I swear, probably the first sermon I heard when I came out the womb was how I needed to be married. We hear it all the time, but like marriage or a relationship holds no value out like by itself. It's who you are with that makes the relationship of value. But so many of us are just like so pressed to be in spaces that God hasn't called us to yet that we make reckless mistakes. You, you don't need to be married yet. Like it's totally fine if you are not married it is totally, and maybe you don't hear that often coming from the stage, but listen, work on yourself, invest in, invest in stocks or work out, I don't know, do something. Like, it is okay, you are okay. You are okay if right now you are not with someone. Because like the peace that you find, like learn yourself. It's okay, like you're safe, don't worry. I don't know who I'm speaking to, probably to me, but... <laughs> You are okay. I, I really want to like convey that David's journey was not easy. It was not easy at all. But you know what David died as or known as? Like after his death, what he's referred to? A man after God's own heart. Why is that? Because he allowed himself to go through the process. In full authenticity, David was not afraid to be like, God, okay, can you kill them? They're really bothering me. Or like, God, uh, what's going on? Fix this. Thank you. David was so authentic. He didn't pretend before God. He didn't pretend before man. The difference between like David and Saul, who were like the first and second like anointed king, really, really does come down to the heart. God is working on our hearts. Like, it's not easy. I will never say that. To be honest, to be honest, if I had a choice, I would choose. I'd be like, no thanks, God. Keep it. <laughs> You're good. I would not choose trials. I wouldn't choose to wander. If I could have my way, everything I want, I would get. And then I would swiftly find that I actually didn't want it. For you, it may be that it's taking you a long time to get through school. For you, it may be like this pressing desire to be like married and have kids by now. For you, you may be worried financially. It may be a, an issue with like family. The journey is not easy, guys. It truly isn't. Like even, even though I'm up here and I look like I'm like legit fine, kid you not, the last six weeks have been like actually hell for me. Like it's been hard. And we wear our masks, Sarah Martinez preached about this last week. We wear our masks so well, we all think that we're okay. As long as we are wandering on this journey, there will be seasons of brokenness. And you know what? That's okay because you are in transit to greatness. You are in the process of being who God wants you to be and ultimately who you would choose to be. You are in the process of being everything that God designed you to be. 
right now I'm going to invite my friends up uh, because we're going to sing a song, actually. And this is a song I wrote in college. Um, and it really just talks about like those seasons when it feels like you wander and you wander alone. Go back to that analogy where sometimes it feels like you are with people you love. Other times it feels like you are lost in an unknown forest. That is very scary. I do not know how my story ends. I truly don't. And I actually wasn't anointed to be king. So like I have no definitive thing to hold on to except for the goodness of God. That is all that I can hold on to is that God did not start this journey in me. He did not start this journey in you to leave you. I want you to know that you can come and rest in God in those seasons when you feel like you are done, like you are done journeying. You are done with this process. You are done with the pain. God is right there with you. And so this song is called Come Rest a While. And it really just depicts this, this idea that we can, while we are wanderers, we can go to God and he will rejuvenate our, our souls for as long as we are journeying. We can rest in him. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.